Speaking of fishing, have you ever heard the idiom, you've got to either fish or cut bait? You ever heard that? Fish or cut bait? Now, in, in uh, the nomenclature of this land, when you say you either got to fish or cut bait, what you're really saying is either pr- proceed with this activity or just knock it off. Just quit. You got to either fish or cut bait. You can't be wandering back and forth, shall I, shall I not, shall I not. Either evangelize the lost or abandon them. Either evangelize our cities in this nation or abandon them. You got to either fish or cut bait. So what should we do? Well, I'll tell you what, don't ask God. Don't ask God because he has a very uncomfortable way of making himself very clear. Just ask Jonah. Open your Bible with me, please, to Jonah chapter 1, 1. Jonah, the first line of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. We'll put the uh, website on the screen for you, those who are watching right now, maybe on a television. If you're live streaming, you already know where the website is. There is a study guide today. You may take the study guide if you wish, uh, ushers. Uh, It's it's not a fill in the blanks, but you're going to like the uh, quotations that are there, so grab your study guide. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah 1 1. Oh, it's a tough book to find. I almost need a page number for it, but uh, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, grab the Pew Bible. It would, be, it would be page 623. I'm in the New International Version, whatever you have. It's fine by me. Just keep your hands up. They'll find you. Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh. Hit the pause button right there. What's the big deal about cities? Do you know what it is? Listen. The reason God is so big on cities is because cities are the largest human containers on earth that contain lost people. The biggest container on earth that contains lost people. That would be a city. Do we have cities? Are you kidding? I got a, I got a list right here. So I went to uh, Google. I said, okay, Google, find me the top ten biggest cities in the United States. I bet you you know them. Number one, what do you suppose number one is? New York, you got it right. Number two, L.A. Number three, we're very close, Chicago. And then it goes Houston, Phoenix, Philadelphia, San Antonio, San Diego, Dallas, San Jose. Is it Jose or Jose? Jose, okay. San Jose. (laughs) Those are just the top ten. Detroit's number 23, by the way, the only city that's had this kind of a drop, 5.67% since last year. They're just kind of leaving Detroit. Oh, by the way, not only in the U.S. of A, guess what the largest urban sprawls are on this planet, bar none? Hmm? The largest. The largest on the planet. Ten of them. Mm-hmm. Got them right here. The land, the city where I was born, Tokyo slash Yokohama. It's a continuous city. 37.9 million human beings in that nonstop city the largest on earth. Number two, Jakarta. Number three, Delhi. Number four, Manila. Number five, Seoul. Number six, Karachi. Number seven, Shanghai. Number eight, Mumbai. India's got two. Number nine, New York. And number 10, Sao Paulo. Those of you from Brazil. Yeah. What's God's big deal about cities? They are the largest earth container filled with lost people. Listen, if they were your children and they had run away from home, wouldn't you be, st- wouldn't you be st- staying up all night long worrying, fretting about them? How can, I, how can I save them? By the year 2050, if time should last, by the year 2050, according to the United Nations, two-thirds of the human race will be packed into one of those containers called a city on the planet. God is huge on cities, of course. All right. 
so God comes to, let's pick it up again in verse 2. God says to Jonah, go to, the, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But what did Jonah do? Adios, I'm out of here. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Instead of going, instead of going east, he goes west. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Stop it right there. I got to ask you, do you really think that Jonah thinks, believes that he can get away from the physical presence of God? True or false? Do you think he believes it? Are you kidding? Jonah knows he can't get away from God, but you know what Jonah is running from? He's He's running away from God's go for me, boy, command. Jonah has no interest in fishing. No fishing at all. Zero, nada, nothing. I don't fish. I don't, I'm not worried about lost people. I live with the saved, and that's all I need to do. <laughs> Apparently, Jonah thinks, with the hot breath of the divine hound of heaven on his neck, racing up that gangplank into the ship, down into the, down into the belly of the ship, Jonah thinks that God will take no for an answer. <laughs> he can never take no for an answer if he's asking you to fish. Never, never, never. So what happens? Well, verse 4. Then the Lord sent... Ooh, boy. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell, fell into a deep sleep. Psh. Only two people I know that have ever slept in the middle of a storm. That would be Jesus and Jonah. Deep sleep. And the captain, the captain, verse 6, went to him and said, Yo! Of course, by now, we got pyrotechnics. we got exploding lightning and thunder, and the ship, this little Phoenician fishing skiff is just being tossed from crest to crest like they're playing badminton back and forth. The captain is obviously yelling at the top of his lungs to Jonah. How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The boat is going down in a cyclone of a storm, and Jonah is sound asleep. You can't believe it. Which, by the way, only goes to show that when you're disobeying the will of God, sometimes you can still sleep like a baby. Hmm. Haddon Robinson, in the the book, Preaching to a Shifting Culture, uh, makes this very astute observation about Jonah. Put the words on the screen for you. If you get the study guide, you have all these quotes. If ever there was a man who lived in direct disobedience to God, it was the prophet Jonah. God directed him to preach to the citizens of Nineveh, but he boarded a ship and sailed away from God rather than do what God had commanded him to do. During his flight, a violent storm arose that terrified the pagan sailors. But Jonah was below deck in the boat, sound asleep. Evidently, Jonah had peace about the decision he made. On the other hand, if there ever was someone who was doing God's will, it was Jesus going to the cross. Yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in anguish, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the earth. Peace is not evidence we have made a godly decision. Are you at peace right now in your life about saying no to something you know is God's will for your life? That peace is not a sign you made the right decision at all. 
Jonas staggers up top. He has not made a godly decision. And by the way, may I remind you, he just now has been served. He missed it totally. He's been served one of those knock-it-out-of-the-park home-run pitches as an evangelist. Because this would be the perfect moment for Jonah to look in the face of that pagan captain and say, all right, you pray to your God, then I'm going to pray to my God. The God that stops this storm is the God we ought to worship. He could have done it. Elijah did it. But Jonah has quieted his conscience. He's not of much use right now. Verse 7. Oh, we know the story so well. Then the, sa- then the sailors said to each other, they're yelling at the top of their lungs. You understand this. Come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and bingo, it's you, sir. What's your name? Here they go. A series of five questions. So they asked them, tell us, who, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. Tell us, number two, what kind of work you do. Tell us, number three, where do you come from. Tell us, number four, what is your country. Tell us, number five, what people are you from anyway? When they stopped to breathe... Yelling above the fury of the gale, Jonah announces to them, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's who I am. By the way, Jonah has just quoted the fourth commandment. For in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He doesn't know it, but Jonah has just quoted the first angel's message. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is now. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of waters. Wow. I am a God-loving, creator-worshiping Sabbatarian who's running away from what he knows he is supposed to be doing. Well, at least we're in good company, right? Verse 10. This terrified the sailors. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up, verse 12. Throw me into the sea, at the top of his lungs, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. It's called mea culpa. It's my fault. you got to hand it to Jonah. He has a whole basket full of uh, traits we don't admire, but you, get, you have to hand it to him here. He's right there. And by the way, he has a hot spot to one day tell the story on himself. No PR firm to to varnish over with some little slick veneer veneer that nobody knows except your very best traits. No! He tells the story on himself, and because he does, there's something for you and me here. Well, we 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 know what happens next. Drop down to verse 15. So they did. They took Jonah. One, two, three. And then when, because this is a movie, and when the camera drops beneath the surface of the water, the moment it goes beneath the surface of the water, it's quiet. There's no sound down there. Just as Jonah's going down. And then the camera pans away from Jonah in that quiet, and it looks down. And out of the black bosom of the Mediterranean come two eyes glowing, and a massive monster with his mouth open. Wow. 
And the raging sea grew calm. The moment he hits the water, the raging sea, smooth as glass. <sighs> These pagan sailors are so odd, you're not going to believe what you're about to read. The very next verse, verse 16, is in the Bible. And at this, the pagan men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and get this, they didn't just offer a sacrifice, they made vows. I will worship you. I will follow you. I will live for you forever and ever. Amen. That's how profound that impact. One supernatural act of God. Can you believe this? And the pagan soldiers become believers in the most high creator God of the universe. Could it be, hey, listen, 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 listen. Could it be that we've made this trying to reach seculars a whole lot harder than God thinks it is? We have house of prayer, 7 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock at night. I meet with a prayer partner every Wednesday night after the evening in my office. So my friend was telling me just a few days ago, he said, you know something, Dwight? The problem is, the root problem of what we need is, is inside our souls. It's, it's, it's this ego thing. It's this self-promotion thing. It's this self-dependence thing. Academia thrives on it. We're in control. I know. The world thrives on it. Every heart here thrives on it. But, but, but my, my friend said, look, Dwight, what would, what would happen if God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, could get into our hearts and just push, push ego and pride and self-dependence, just push it right out and fill the vacuum with himself? Because the Bible says, quoting God, I will share my glory with no one. And now that Jonah is swallowed by a whale, God says, let me show you something. Ever seen this before? I just did that. Wow! And pagans bow down and worship him. The book of Acts is replete with what they call signs and wonders. Why? Because God says, you just let me be, you just let me be uh, front and center. You let me be. And the dead are raised. The, the sick are healed. Men are reading people's minds and getting it right. What would happen if we just pushed, oh, the Holy Spirit, just, just push it out? Apparently, it's not so hard as we've thought in reaching pagan seculars because they're still awed by the supernatural. Something just happens. What was that? And Jonah was in the belly of a whale. And at the very end of his prayer, in the belly of that dark, dark whale, Jonah prays the theme to the entire book of Jonah. It's one line. I want you to read the last line of his prayer. It's verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. From the belly of the whale, but I, Jonah, crying out to God with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you, O God, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Let's put that on the screen. Salvation comes from the Lord. We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the glad news all around. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. That's it. That's the whole theme of the book of Jonah. You think about what God has just done. The pagan sailors get saved. 
The Sabbatarian prophet gets saved. The pagan city of Nineveh gets saved. In fact, in this entire narrative, there's only one person that doesn't get saved. There's only one creation of God that does not get saved. But you can't guess it. Yep. When Jonah trudges through Nineveh and cries out, 40 days and you're going to be toast, nuked by the God of the universe. When Jonah preaches judgment, guess what? The only thing that dies, because from the highest king to the lowest slave, the entire city repents. The entire city. One measly little runaway frady cat. And God saves an entire city. The only one that doesn't survive is a little leafy gourd. Remember that? Because Jonah goes up on the the hillside and says, Okay, God, you may change your mind. Show me the fireworks. I'm here. And the hot Assyrian sun is burning down on him. And God says, Poor Jonah. Have mercy on Jonah. Little plant grow. Boy, that's a fast grow. How'd you do that? And now Jonah says, oh, thank you, God. Oh, I needed that shade. Next morning, wake up. God puts a little worm, puts a little worm in that plant. And Jonah now is ticked to high heavens again. The plant is the only thing that dies in the story. God even saves the worm. Did you know that? He saved the worm. He said, oh, Dwight, that's too trite. No, it's not too trite. Look at God. Look at what God says right here. The last line of the book, chapter 4, verse verse 10, but the Lord said to Jonah, you have been concerned about this little plant. Though you did not tend it, you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not? Here comes the the last verse. And should I not? The book ends with a question mark. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? Oh, and oh, by the way, by the way, Jonah, also many animals, little tiny creatures. Shouldn't I be concerned? Apparently, saving the worm was not an aberration. He wanted to save them all. Man, we've really, we've, we've really, missed, we've really missed the truth about him, haven't we? He'll save anybody. You breathe, you breathing boy, let me save you. You want me? Wow. Incidentally, scholars, by the way, who have been having a little trouble with this, 120,000 people, I mean, anybody, can anybody figure out what 120,000 people are about? Scholars now believe, many of them anyway, that what God is describing, when he says people who don't know their right hand from their left hand, God is describing two years old and under. Because if I got a little two-year-old standing up here who wandered into the children's story and I said, honey, show me your left hand, she would not know which one. She'd go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, So you have 120,000 children, then you, have, then you have kids, then you have teens, then you have young adults, then you have adults, then you have middle-aged adults, then you have senior citizens. Some scholars now believe that the population of Nineveh was between 600,000 and 2 million human beings. And one runaway messenger was God's instrument for saving that pagan citadel. You can't believe it. Should I not be concerned for that great city? And in one glorious moment, he saves them all, everybody. The end. We have heard a joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. The end. That's it. So what's this mean for you and me? 
friend of mine named Cheryl Logan. She would be the wife of the minister of music. Four weeks ago, gave me a book. She said, my mother found this down, working down in Neighbor to Neighbor, which is a community service center here in town. She found it in an old box full of used books. She pulled it out. She gave it to me. I'm giving it to you. And oh my, I will be grateful forever for that act of kindness. title of the book, by the way, is God in the Garden, the amazing story of Billy Graham's first New York crusade. That's Madison Square Garden. All you sports buffs know where that place is. Sixteen unforgettable weeks from May 15 through September 1, 1957. Do the arithmetic. So this is 2017. Right now. How many years ago? Right now. 57 to now. 57 to now. I'll save you the arithmetic. Sixty years. Sixty years ago this very second. It was in the evening, Saturday nights, and maybe Monday and Wednesday or something like that. Friday. Sixty years ago. You know what? Billy Graham had been warned by all the naysayers. Oh, let me tell you something about New York City. It is the, de- it is the graveyard of Christian effort. Incalcitrant, secular city, won't be touched, can't be reached. Billy Graham said, let's, let's, let's try anyway. And bathed with thousands of prayers, literally, globally, thousands upon thousands of little Christians on this planet saying, the man's going in. Let's cover him. With hundreds and thousands of volunteers, the stats that came out of that series absolutely blow your mind. Here they are. Let me run a few of them by you. More than two million people heard Billy Graham preach in the Madison Square Gardens and at outside rallies. More than two million. More than 56,000 made decisions for Christ, of whom 20,000 were teenagers. 20,000 teenagers came to Christ. Mm. An estimated, because ABC television said, we'll carry you Saturday nights. For six weeks, they carried him. Ninety-six million people saw the meetings coming out of, out of Madison Square Garden. Unbelievable. By the way, they were going to quit the end of June. So many people were coming. They said, well, let's just go just to the end of July, then we'll, we'll cut it off. End of July, they're still coming. They decided to go all the way to September 1, when 125,000 people crowded into Times Square to hear Billy Graham's final sermon. A secular, pagan bastion that is no place for God to work. Excuse me? Excuse me? Do I love cities? Are these my children? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, one fascinating, I want you to get this. One fascinating diary entry because he gave, uh, Billy Graham gave to... uh, the author here, the author of the book is uh, Curtis Mitchell. He gave to him his diary during, that was written during the uh, crusade itself. He said, take these and see if there's any help. One night, he's come back exhausted, sweaty, from a fishing expedition in Madison Square Garden. He collapses into his bed and writes into his diary these words. I'll put them on the screen for you. Preached on the prodigal son. Felt somewhat bound. Not as much liberty as normal. Boy, preachers know exactly what he's describing. The crowd was about the same tonight as before. It was very hot and humid. I think we had about the smallest response to the invitation we have had yet. I seem to sense, now here we go, I seem to sense that there is a great response to the invitation when I preach on judgment than any other subject. Tonight I preach more on the love, mercy, and grace of God, and the response is not nearly so great. Final line, perhaps the message for New York is judgment. What were God's instructions to Jonah? Don't tell them about my love and these touchy-feely, fuzzy moments. You just tell them, you got 40 days and it's over. Do you understand that? You're toast. 
Apparently, pagan seculars don't have to be wooed and pampered to maybe giving God a passing fancy. Maybe God can connect with even America, the cities of this nation. Maybe Billy is right. What did God say to Jonah? Go. What did he say here? Go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Could it be our cities? Could it be our nations are ripe for God's saving grace? According to Ralph Moore in his book, How to, how to, how to Grow Your Church, How to Multiply Your Church, rather, uh, listen to this line. More than 25 million people in the United States today have never heard the gospel. 25 million in this Christian country, quote-unquote Christian. And how about the millions and millions who grew up with kids, as kids, hearing a little bit about Jesus loves me, this I know, but have long since banished any notion of that and are now walking the streets of our cities today. How about them? We've heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Ellen White, in, his, in, in that uh, book, Prophets and Kings, telling the story of Jonah and Nineveh, put these words on the screen for you, in every city. Boy, if you had to study that out right now, man, circle it, circle it. In every city, filled though it may be with violence and crime, there are many who, with proper teaching, may learn to become followers of Jesus. Thousands may thus be reached with saving truth and be led to receive Christ as a personal Savior. Many, now, every city. We've heard a joyful sound. Spread the glad news all around. So what should we do? I'm talking about you and me now. Forget Jonah. Forget Billy Graham. By the way, the world will wake up one day soon, perhaps, and it will be announced to us by the news media that Reverend Billy Graham died overnight. And it will be a great loss for this nation. The preachers that have followed in his wake are fine people, I'm sure. But somehow, not the heart, not the soul and the passion of Billy Graham, It'll be a sad day. But this isn't about Billy Graham now. This is about you and me living in our professional careers and still trying to go to school and raise a little family. And what about us? Ralph Moore again, his words on the screen. How to multiply your church. Here we go. One question we all face is, am I willing to accept the Great Commission as a personal calling if the answer is yes, then nothing will stand between us and spiritual revolution. Our gifts of time, money, and prestige will burst with sacrifice. You and I will crave the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can make a difference wherever we go. If we embrace the goal of spiritual revolution, we will only be happy in a church that sees itself as a force for change and acts accordingly. It will be easy to set aside comfortable tradition, even the tradition of the last decade, for functional steps toward the goal of Christ's kingdom realized in our generation. Now, here he comes. The point is that like Peter and Andrew, you and I must be willing to become fishers of people on a much broader scale. We simply need more fishing boats, end quote. Now think about that line. You and I need to become fishers of people on a much broader scale. You say, what are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about this. Maybe you and I have settled for this. You know, a little hook on a line. Maybe God, maybe God, I'll catch a fish at this point in my life. 
Maybe I'll go another 20 years. I'll catch another fish for you, Jesus. Maybe what we're dreaming of has no segue or interface with a dream God has for you. What if God's dream for you is not one? No, 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 not one. I need 10 from you. I need 10 from you here, and then when you go over here, I'm going to get 50 from you. And when you go over here, I'm going to get 100 from you. Remember, one little runaway believer in God turned around, became God's instrument to bring down an entire pagan bastion and save the entire city from the king to the slave. Just one. Just one. Maybe we ought to quit selling ourselves so short. Well, maybe I'll get one from a class I teach. Well, it's been a few years, but I did get one. I do remember. That's a good glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Maybe instead of one here and one then there, what if we started asking God? What if we started asking God? Didn't Jesus say, cast your net on the other side? He didn't say, cast your hook. He didn't say, cast your line. He said, cast your net. Why? Because a net catches a lot of fish. That's why. What if we started asking God for nets, nets full, nets full of lost men, women, and children for the God who died to save them? What if we asked for more? What are you asking for? One? You want just one in your life? What if you started asking God, give me a hundred? Give me a hundred of these. I need them for you. It's not about me. But if you can use little wimpy Jonah, you surely could use me. You see, this isn't about Billy Graham. This isn't about clergy, by the way. Well, Dwight, I'm sure glad you're preaching this sermon because I hope you get the point. This is not about clergy. This is about the God who says, if you follow me, I'll make, I'll make you a fisher of people. You just come on, girl. Come on. Get that net ready. We're moving out into deep waters. Speaking of deep waters, I want you to read these words from Oswald Chambers. Put them on the screen, please, from his classic, My Utmost for His Highest. Wow. If you do not cut the moorings, that's old Scottish because he was a Scotsman. If you do not cut the moorings, the ropes that tie you to the shore, your little fish, your little uh, fishing skiff in the harbor, if you do not cut the moorings, God will have to break them by a what? By a what? By a storm. By the way, God can get your attention and mine, and he can mobilize us. But I sure wouldn't want to wait till the storm for it. It'll work, perhaps. But even Jonah slept through it. God will have to break them, those lines, by a storm and send you out. Launch all on God. Go out on the great swelling tide of His purpose, and you will get your eyes open. If you believe in Jesus, you are not to spend all your time in the smooth waters just inside the harbor bar full of delight, but always moored. You have to get out through the harbor bar into the great deeps of God. Go out and do some deep sea fishing. Don't take a line. Take a net. Take a net. I'm that desperate. I am that passionate with a capital P. I am that passionate. Take a net. I'll catch the fish. You take the net. Go from me. Just go from me. There may be a massive Nineveh that God has your name, yellow post-it noted. That's where I want her to go. Hey, hey Gabriel, look at that. That's where I want her to go. Look at her. She has a heart for me. She knows I will put my trust in him. It's the seven-word creator to live by. She knows that. Look at her. I put, she doesn't know I put her name on that city, but I've chosen, that. I've chosen her for that city. You may be the one. 
He has a city for you. He has a city for you, if you're willing. It's fun to live in a little village where nothing happens but Taco Bell changing its menu every eight weeks. But there has to be more to life than that. The Pharisees once asked Jesus, Yo! You! Prove to us you are who you are. Give us a sign. Jesus looked back into those haughty faces. He said, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of a whale three days and three nights, I, the Son of Man, will be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights. But I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. So go. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You go. Go. Who will go for us? Who will go for us? And a little, a little voice on the last pew of a long church, a little voice, here I am. Send me. And that's all it takes. He'll do the rest. He will do the rest. You're my, please, I'll go, send me. Pull out your connect card, please. We've got to respond to this. We can't just blow it off. There must be some way I can respond. Pull out your connect card, please. We've got some visitors and guests here today. Always glad to have you. We do this every week. Just fill out the front of the card with what you're comfortable with. If you go to the back, it says, my next step today is I want to be bolder in my fishing for people for Jesus with greater focus and greater numbers. Now, I'm talking to people who uh, use these cards all the time, and most of you say, well, I don't know if I turn this in. I'm going to ask you to turn it in today. Just turn it in. You know why? Because it'll be saying something to you. Well, I'll just take this home and I'll just think about it. No, don't think about it. While the Spirit is hot in your heart right now, respond. Put a check mark there. We'll pray. We'll pray over you. I want to be bolder in my fishing for people for Jesus with greater focus and greater numbers. Oh, Jesus. You calling me to do 10? Are you serious? Yes, I'll go. If that's your heart, put a check mark there. Do it for your soul. Box number two, I'm willing to go to the city for Jesus. Please send me information about Harbor of Hope because we can't all move to New York. We can't all go down to Dallas where I was last weekend. We got Benton Harbor, 12 miles up the road. If you put a check mark here, I promise you, you'll get an email from Pastor Torres Montgomery, our young, aggressive leader in that inner city. You get an email from him, and he'll tell you what you can do. You say, I've been in this church for 70 years. I'm not moving anywhere now. Fine. Then just mark your tithe envelope, Harbor of Hope, and start giving to Harbor of Hope. Give to Harbor of Hope. Can't go to the inner city? Your money will. Finally, number three, I want to join others in praying for our cities. House of Prayer, Wednesday, 7 in the morning, Youth Chapel, 7 in the evening, right here. Love to have you. 
Let's pray. Push self out, God. Just kind of crowd out. Signs and wonders. What could you do if you showed up in this place right now? I said, I will. I just want to make sure it's about me and not you. Let's pray. Oh, by the way, you put your email on the front of the card. You get that email from Taurus. Dear God. Wow. Jonah was always about Jonah and Billy Graham and all, you know, the people that got to do this for a living, but... It's rather, it's rather daunting to think that little old us, are you serious? For the cities? Dear Father, whatever you're saying to a heart that's listening to you right now, on television, online, who knows where, but whatever you're saying, be loud, be clear. And may she hear the call, may he hear the call, Back row, little finger up, here am I, send me. We've heard a joyful sound, Jesus saves. Help us to spread the glad news all around, I humbly pray in our Lord's name. Amen.